Hello and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters coming at you from Indianapolis and my good friend and co-host Josh Roller joins us all the ways from Charlotte. Uh, We have a very fun show in store for you this week because uh, Bristol Dirt was back. We went to the NASCAR Cup Series and the NASCAR Camping Truck Series went to Bristol uh, and they threw dirt on it again for the second year in a row. And we have a lot of things to say about that, I think. Um, Josh and I really really haven't talked too much about this weekend, so a lot of our discussion is going to be pretty pretty raw, pretty brand new, uh, and I'm pretty excited to see how it all turns out, and I hope you are as well. So thank you again for joining us, for letting, you, letting us entertain you for the two-ish hours that we usually do this for. We really appreciate your support. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Uh, we have a lot of news to share as well. There was a pretty uh, decent amount of news released this week, uh, and then we'll have to discuss that. So we'll go ahead and jump right on in to the news here. And we will start off, as always, with Rob's Racing Report and starting with Formula One. Um, Adam Stern has tweeted that ESPN has decided they will air the inaugural Miami Grand Prix on ABC, and the race's organizers have said that the track is about 95% complete. So, Josh, that means that uh, we have a uh, decent uh, shot at probably good ratings, right, I would think. Oh, yeah, it's going to be some good ratings for this race uh, with it being on ABC. So, uh, I mean, I'm excited for that one to see kind of how the American audience welcomes a American F1 race on Mother's Day on a no, on, a, on a big channel. A big channel. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a, it'll be a big day for ABC uh, having that race. And then we've got more F1 in America news talking about uh, the Las Vegas Grand Prix that's coming up. Adam Stern has also put out another Stern bomb tweeting that in the 24 hours following the Las Vegas Grand Prix's announcement, the win Las Vegas and Encore, uh, quote, saw more requests for hotel room reservations than any other one-day period in the Strip Properties history. So there is a huge demand seemingly already for this Las Vegas Grand Prix uh, and Formula One, which is uh, always very good. You know, it's good to see Formula One um, having being successful, I guess, in the United States. I was concerned, and I think other people were as well, that perhaps it could be some kind of a fad, but um, it doesn't seem to be that. It doesn't it doesn't seem to be a fad at all. It actually seems to be uh, something everybody are pretty excited for, so that's good to hear. That's very good news. So that's all for Formula One this week. Uh, might be more stuff that breaks, but we'll cover that in the next, over the course of the week, but we'll cover that in the next week's episode for sure uh moving on into some indycar news jimmy johnson has undergone surgery to repair a fracture to his right hand that he sustained in a crash during practice for last week's long beach grand prix so uh but it looks like he's still good to run the upcoming uh indianapolis test that is coming up here i think in the next week or so i believe yes yes i think it actually might be this week or the or early next week I can't remember off the top of my head when it is. Yeah. I just know that it's coming up. But uh, yeah. good to see it's that April. old Jim Jam will be able to uh, to go out there and hopefully. I, I think he's has he already passed rookie orientation, or would this probably be his opportunity to do that? rookie orientation right here? Yeah, that would be good. I mean, you don't want to miss. You don't want to have to make that up 
it's easier to get it done in like an open test like they have been uh, than to have to waste valuable practice time getting it done uh, during during the month because you mean you I mean they they take they've taken away so much practice time for the 8500 compared to what they had uh, I mean it's still it's still more than every other race but uh, it's it's not as much as they used to have you used to have two full weeks of practice now you maybe get one good solid week of practice and if you have to waste any of that time doing anything else it can potentially hurt your uh, hurts your overall qualifying speed, hurts your race development. Who knows? I mean, you just want to yeah. be out there constantly making improvements and adjustments to the car at all times. All right. Uh, and, and we've got more IndyCar news here uh, where changes are coming for the second running of the Music City Grand Prix down at the Nashville Street Circuit. Restarts, all restarts, will now take place on the exit of the Korean Veterans Memorial Bridge like the race's initial start. The turn 11 apex will be widened by six feet for better driver visuals, and there will be resurfacing of turn of the turn five apex to minimize the bump. Turn nine will also be uh, reduced by 50 feet to accommodate more suites. So they're making some changes after the first uh, Music City Grand Prix down there in Nashville. I mean, it, they seem to want it to be a success, and it seems like it is. It, it was a success last year. Um, I still think they should be at the super speedway, but we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, but overall, I think these are good. These are good changes. I think it's fine. Um, I, I, I like it. I, I know it's, it's, it's probably tough. You couldn't get a flag stand and you, up, up, up on the bridge, but it's that, I think that's the better and more ideal place for the starts and restarts to happen. Um, right. kind of like a mid Ohio, kind of like a mid Ohio. Yeah. I mean, it's a cooler. It's not only a cooler visual; it's just easier for for everybody. You don't want to have a, a a situation like Long Beach where, you know, you've got half the field. You know, you got the the top half of the field is is coming to the green, and the latter half of the field is still straggling along, waiting to get in, or aren't even bunched up, aren't even double wide, and they're, you know, not even taking the green when the leaders are. You know, you don't want something like that to happen. So. Right. Um, it's a good change. It's overall a good change because the circuit, the circuit is is fine. I mean, I, I obviously there's changes that can be done to it, and it looks like that they're taking care of most of those. Um, overall, I would say still a complete resurfacing of that whole thing would be necessary at some point in order to make it more viable. It's just too bumpy as it is right now, and that's not a bad thing. Most street circuits are bumpy, but this one's really bumpy. <laughs> I mean, not Baltimore bumpy, but it's getting there. I think they should consider. Oh my gosh. Um. They should, or it's not San Jose bumpy either. Baltimore and San Jose were probably two of the worst street circuits, uh, for in terms of bumps that I've ever seen. And San Jose ran over train tracks. So did Baltimore too. Yeah, Baltimore, Baltimore had train tracks too. Both of them did. Yeah, <laughs> they were so similar in, in the wrong ways. <laughs> yeah. Not, oh my you goodness. You don't want to be similar in in those bad ways at all. No way. But no. uh, by the way, I, I, was, I was in Nashville this week. It was pretty cool crossing the Korean Veterans Memorial Bridge and like IndyCar raced on this. This is cool. Yeah, you, it's pretty cool. It's not it's not every day you get to drive uh, over a, a or on a track that is usually a racetrack. You know, I mean, it's it's probably normal for the people of Monaco and Long Beach. But for you and I, it, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, 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 not at all. So that's that's pretty cool. That's that's actually really cool. I was you sent me a picture. You were at the Nashville Predators game. Yes. You said you were there. That was that must have been pretty cool watching some, some hockey. Fight. 
Yeah, we saw a fight, and so, you know, uh, checked all the boxes. And uh, the Predators won in uh, uh, overtime, I guess. I guess an overtime game. Yeah, yeah, it was overtime, yeah. So it was good. It was good. It was a good game. And uh, the funny thing is, they did like a top three players of the game, and the guy who scored the final shot didn't even get one of the top three. I'm like, what? Who really? Yeah, it was really strange. Ah, that's it's weird, you know. But yeah. hey, you know, it, it it's good you got to see a Predators game, uh, because oh, that's actually a good hockey team. I've been watching some pretty mediocre to bad hockey in the Seattle Kraken the last last season. So <laughs> don't don't worry. It's it's Mariner season. I'll get my heart broken in October. I don't have. I have a long time. I have a long time to wait. All right. Uh, more on this later. But to many flan- fans' pleasure. Roger Penske told Racer Magazine that the primary growth opportunity is adding more ovals to the IndyCar calendar. Penske also said that there that 15 to 19 races per season is a target. So that's a target for IndyCar right now. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but I'm very, very happy to hear Mr. Penske say he wants some more ovals because I got a bone to pick with some of his, his decisions, and uh, if he can... If he can give me some more ovals to uh, maybe not me not 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 have me be so critical, uh, I think we'll be at a happy medium here. Yeah. All right. Moving on here into some NASCAR news. Hey, this was this was kind of the big news that happened earlier on, uh, but uh, it kind of this this news kind of died down as the as the week went on. It was kind of popular to talk about when it broke and. Uh, it's kind of died down, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit because I have something to say about this. So Ty Gibbs was fined $15,000 for bumping into Sam Mayer on the cooldown lap, which I called, called, told said last week was stupid. I said I said that last week was that was the, the the turning point for me where it was like, all right, this dude has no respect for equipment. Um, but anyway, so he got he's been fined uh, $15,000 for that for that for that little move, and it's it's interesting that NASCAR doesn't. Give the penalties for the post-race fights, the altercations, anything like that. I mean, not, they're not known to in the past. I didn't think they would, but um, it's interesting that they did give him this this penalty because I think it's good and it should send a message, uh, hopefully, that this this kind of stuff is not is not tolerated. You know, especially in the cool down laps, under caution laps and stuff. You know, it's one thing to wreck a guy when the green flags out. You know, but when there's caution flag out you're you, there's there's a high high likelihood that there's some people possibly on the racetrack or there's some safety vehicles possibly out there on the racetrack maybe not right right away but the idea is when the race is over or the race is slowed down that's essentially what what why they're slowing down is for that reason and i i it, it doing something like that the speeding up the slamming into the back of him that that's crossing the line i think and we've seen that before. We've seen that in the past where guys have done that. I think about 2014 Cup. There's several races in the 2014 playoffs where that happened. I think, Josh, you and I both remember those crazy, crazy races. Um, but, you know, I think, I, I, if I recall correctly, I think there were fines levied as well for those. And rightfully so. That's yeah, because pretty consistent about fine yeah i have no issues with the fines itself i think the fine is 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 justified and i i, I just i wonder if it will send a message to ty at some point and be like hey buddy you can't this is this is not how to this 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 should be the message to ty gibbs that is basic if if it wasn't getting his ass almost kicked by sam mayer 
uh, this should be one of the bigger, bigger signs for Ty Gibbs to say, hey, this this is not how you're conducting yourself is not is not correct. And even I think it was Jenna Fryer who asked Hoy in the uh, in the in the um, in the post race after the Bristol Dirt race. I think Coy Gibbs was in the, the media center for some reason. She asked him, Jenna Fryer asked him point blank, like, what do you do about that? And he was like, well, you know, the conversation's private, which, okay, that's a decent answer. That's a fine answer to say, but he's like, you know, he's my kid. I got, I, I've got his back 24 seven. Um, but you know, the, the kind of, it, it seems, I'm curious to see how this weekend at Talladega is going to go for Ty Gibbs. You know, how it, how is he going to react to kind of that humbling, that maturity kind of reality check that he's gotten? You know, he's now, we, we now know that, okay, him and his dad had a talk, had a sit down and they were talking. I don't know what, we don't know what was said, but we know that they had a sit down. Um, he's been now fined $15,000. This is probably one of his first fines that he's ever had to pay in his racing career. You know, this is, this, you know, hopefully he's gotten the message now and we go into Talladega, how many people are going to work with him? You know, Talladega is a place where you don't really want to have a bunch of enemies going into the thing. How many people are going to be willing to work with him? Is he going to go in there and, and, and man up and, and, and take responsibility for his actions and, and try and make some deals, try and make some friends. So hopefully he's not, you know, leading on the last lap and then, uh 30th going into the trial <laughs> you know he, he doesn't he probably doesn't want that and i think he's this this should be a, a pretty big uh wake-up call at least for him but anyway that's all i had to say about that uh, do you have anything else to say to add i, mean, I was kind of kind of interesting when i was listening to the dale uh, and actually it was on door bumper clear when he said it um dale jr made a guest appearance for the entire episode um Finally, after them uh, begging him to sort of in a way, maybe it was more like nagging or playing them on. But anyways, he said he was okay with what Ty Gibbs did after the race on the track. He said if he'd have a problem with it if um, he was bumping and hitting them actually on pit road, but out on the racing surface, he didn't have a problem with it. And um, I was a little, I was a little surprised, and it actually kind of made me think a little bit. I'm like, you know, I think there's a line with that i don't mind ty going up there and sort of getting on sam's bumper and like saying man i i didn't appreciate what you did there but when he intentionally slams when any driver not just ty but if a driver is showing the displeasure to another driver by bam bam into the rear of their car first off it's disrespectful to the guys who built that car and you know we'll and then and the other car you're hitting, too, because, I mean, they were both relatively unscathed at that point in time. But it also is just, yeah, that's crossing the line. If he wants to go up there and bump them, rub sides, like, hey, man, I don't like what you did there. Whether it's, whether the driver is in the right to be mad or not, um, I think that's okay. But I definitely think Ty crossed the line there. You can't be slamming like that because, because what could have happened is Sam gets loose, turned around, and wrecks, and all of a sudden there's... It's not just a two-car deal. It's it's a three, four, five-car deal, especially at a narrow track like Martinsville. Um, you know that that would have been that would have been a really bad situation. Not necessarily from a full-on safety standpoint, because the drivers are supposed to stay um, buckled in until they get to the to the pit road and stop. 
but um, it would have been a bad deal from, okay, now you've not just wrecked your and the guy you have an issue with call, you've wrecked guys who are literally innocent bystanders uh, in it. So I think this is going to send a message to him. He's going to have to rethink um, a few things. I think I think he'll I think he'll realize that there's enough people there at Joe Gibbs to to say, look. You've got to you got to do a little bit of straightening out here. Don't go, don't go the Noah Grixon route and totally change who you are because you're, then you're going to struggle. But you need to back a few things up, pull the ponies back, and have a good clean month ahead of you. You know the 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 uh, Talladega race is sort of the um, start of a stretch through the Coca Cola Six Hundred weekend for them. Uh, in Memorial Day weekend, so he needs to have a good clean month. You know, just stay out of trouble. If you can win races, great, but let's not go knocking the doors down to do it either. So, I mean, that's kind of why I thought about it, and uh, I know I just want to share that one tad tidbit from what Dale and our junior said. No, that's always well, always welcome, always welcome to uh, add in uh, something that you listen to, or you know, anything I might not know. So. No problems with there. Uh, next piece of news here we'll get into. Kaz Grala uh, is replacing Jade Buford in the number 48 Big Machine Racing Team Chevrolet at Talladega and Dover in the Xfinity Series. Uh, Jade Buford is also on the chipping block to be released. Team owner Scott Borchetto wants to see results and isn't seeing that at the moment. This is wild to me because this, this is... This he hired this guy. He started yeah, he, his team with this split hiring this guy because he felt Jay Buford was such a good driving instructor uh, for him. And he was like, "How do you not have a ride?" Well, I guess he's finding out. <laughs> well, I think there's. I think it's it's a little bit more than that. I think last year that forty eight car had a very slow progression in a, in the positive direction. And I feel like the RCR cars this year, as a whole, with the exception of the 31, um, with Jordan Anderson Racing, are all running really good. And Jay Buford's even had some good runs, but then something has happened that has kept him from getting that good result. So right now, and I, he's saying, okay, we don't need to follow any further back in the points than we are. Casgrala has had, even though he hasn't run full time, he's had good success. I think he's well respected as a driver, and he knows how to take care of his equipment. So he's looking at Cas like, "Okay, can you get us some good positive points days here at Talladega? Basically, get us to the finish. Don't wreck. And at Dover, can you get another solid finish? So let's get us back on track. And during this time, you know it's. This was basically three weeks for the 48 team to reevaluate where they're at, what they want to do. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens if there's some significant improvement with the 48 with Kaz in the car. Um, we'll just see what happens. Uh, next piece of news, more driver news in the Xfinity series. Chandler Smith will drive for Sam Hunt Racing in three races, including this week at Talladega, then next week at Dover, and then later this year, this year at Homestead. Um, this was this next piece of news here. This was really cool. Uh, Wendy's, Wendy's, the fast food restaurant, will sponsor Beard Motorsports and Noah Gregson 
at Talladega to promote its $5 biggie bag. And I believe this is the first foray into motorsports ever for Wendy's. I mean, other than their pop-up tent that they're, I think they're also going to have a Talladega and they've had a Daytona in the past. This is, I think, the first car they ever sponsored. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't recall Wendy's ever being in, involved in auto racing. Like, ever. No, I, I really I, I can't either. say I've ever. I've not seen them involved in sports car racing. I've not seen them involved. And maybe they have been. It's just I'm not old enough to have seen it. But to my knowledge, I don't think that they've ever been involved in, in sponsoring motorsports. So this is really, this is a big deal. If they can, I, I, I if, if, if Gregson can go out there, get them some solid TV time, have them see some kind of ROI, I'd like to see Wendy's throw their hat in the mix. You know, we've seen a ball of a bunch of uh, fat, you know, McDonald's always is dominated. McDonald's always has cars. Burger Kings had cars in the past. Um, Taco Bell, Long John Silver's, A&W Root Beer. Well, those are all because of Bob Jenkins' connections to uh, yeah, but he owns those franchises. So I think that's how uh, KFC as well. He owns a bunch of yum brands. That's why. So they're not specifically, um, they, they're not, so the way that works is it's the same kind of idea as how BK Racing operated was yeah. when they didn't have a sponsor, they kind of just slapped the the logo on there because he had the rights to do it because he was a franchise owner, you know? So he's like, okay, I own the rights to this technically so I can put their, their company logo on my car even though they're not technically paying me. That's That's how they did it. So that's why you would see those. But... You are correct in the fact that they they had did have cars it, it sponsored, even though they weren't. It wasn't like a one to one. They weren't. It wasn't that company. It wasn't young brands specifically themselves paying for it. Um, and or Burger King with BK, yeah, BK Racing, despite being named BK Racing, had no actual affiliation with Burger King. <laughs> I, I'm sure you know that, but for our listeners, they might not know that, but. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this is this is really cool. It, the paint scheme looks great. It's one of those things we're going to have to talk about. You know, if we're still doing this podcast in 10 years, we're going to look back on this and be like, man, remember Noah Craig Sidney ran that? Uh, I don't know. I'm not that old yet. Um, anyway. So you think we're going to talk like an 82-year-old guy when we're in our late 30s? <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What's 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 aging anyway? What's the aging process? Uh, next piece of news here: Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been poached temporarily by Fox because he's going to be in the Cup Series booth at Talladega this Sunday on loan from NBC Sports as a guest analyst. Um, that's pretty cool, especially since DW was back at Bristol, and I actually really liked how DW was. I Daryl Waltrip hadn't skipped a beat. Um, the fact that he didn't feel like he was overcompensating for anything and he felt like old Daryl Waltrip again, being just having great commentary, great an- analysis. Uh, that was fun. Uh, but Dale Jr., perfect. I love it, especially at Talladega because that's what's, that, I, I, you know, it, does it make me wish that DW was in the booth with him? Yeah, kind of, because I think Daryl Waltrip would like to pick his brain a little bit. Um, cause he always, cause I had always reminded me when you watch those super plate races back in the early two thousands and even in the, all the way towards the end of junior's career, DW was always fascinated with how Dale jr. Operated those restrictor plate races. And I just, I just think for me personally, as a viewer, I would like to hear Daryl Waltrip pick Dale Earnhardt jr.'s brain on 
this kind of racing and be like, you know, how do you navigate? You know, you he called him for years, the old Pied Piper. Well, how do you navigate that? You know, I'd like to hear him pick his brain. I'm sure Clint will be Clint, but uh, no, Junior's Junior's fun. Junior will be fun to hear up there with Mike Joy. So, sure. um, it, we got more Earnhardt news. Do you know that, Josh? We got more Earnhardt news to talk about. I do. And this is do. this is this is awesome because old Jeffrey Earnhardt will make his one-off start. Will make a one-off start with Richard Childress Racing in the Xfinity Series, and and he will be driving the number three and be crew chiefed by Larry Mack. How about that? Who would, if you told me this happened last year, I wouldn't have believed you. But let me tell you something. I love this for Jeffrey. I love this for Larry Mack. And I applaud Richard Childress for giving him this opportunity. Well, he's yeah. been very good to the Earnhardts before. He's given Kerry, Kerry Earnhardt, uh, Jeffrey's dad, several opportunities to, to, to race before. And now he's given Jeffrey an opportunity to race and giving him a good car. So I'm happy to hear about that. Uh, Josh, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I'm sure you have some thoughts as well. I'm excited about this. This is cool. Um, I saw this uh, middle of the day, one of the days I was in Nashville. I'm like, this has just made my day as if it really need to be made. But um, that, was just, that was cool news because I don't know if Carrie ever drove the three. I'm not sure if he ever, if he did. I'm not, I mean, I don't know I if he, he ever drove. I, to my knowledge, he drove the two in our yeah, drove. I know he, he drove the two. I was just trying to think, is there ever an opportunity or a time where he drove the three but nonetheless you know jeffrey's doing something that that dale jr did um has only done a handful of times since 2001 when when we lost dale um and that's drive the three car and and he's definitely said that's that's my dad's image that's not mine but jeffrey getting the opportunity to fly sort of the colors of his grandfather is pretty i think that's pretty special um, and, and for him to get that opportunity with Richard Childress racing and for Richard to give him that opportunity is, is, is pretty special. And I hope it, I hope the day goes well. And, uh, for him and, and Larry back both to, to get that opportunity 22 years later to, to get back on the pit box, almost a little over 21 years later, I guess, not necessarily 22 years, but, uh, um, he never did say he retired. He's just taken a really, 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 really long sabbatical. Larry uh, Mack does not quit. That no. guy did. I don't know. This guy, Larry Mack must go to bed thinking about pit strategies. He must he have, does. he, I think Larry Mack, when, when Larry Mack falls asleep, his dreams are of him on, as, as a pick, as a crew chief making, making strategy calls. That's, that's every, every dream of Larry Mack. Doesn't matter how it works out. It doesn't matter how crazy the dream gets. You know, the cars start taking off and flying, and Godzilla comes in the background and starts, you know, heating the track up. You know, Larry Max sitting there factoring in. Okay, well, how how hot Godzilla is gonna make the track? Okay, now I got to figure out uh, what that's gonna do to the tires, and now I got to figure, got to account for you know the the taking off and all that stuff you know that's probably what larry it, it's crazy the gr- dream gets so crazy but larry mack is still doing calculations <laughs> the guy doesn't sure. quit the guy does i love him i love him for that reason that's why he's um, the best best crew chief analyst out there and he, he is he doesn't he i think he could i think he could go out there and get hired by a cup team today and would succeed as a crew chief fox sure. is not utilizing him properly no and they're really no. not I mean, ever since they took him out of that's the thing that, and we talk about this, you know, they, they we talked about the Dale Earnhardt Jr. making his uh, guest analyst to the to the Fox, but this is my real my my biggest complaint, I think, with 
a lot of uh, modern day NASCAR broadcasting is just the lack of having that Larry Mack person. You know, I think what I appreciated a lot about um, Fox's coverage and then even ESPN's coverage was the fact that they had crew chiefs in as in as in serving as commentary roles in Larry Mack and, and Andy Petrie. And I appreciated that because you had that level of, of, of kind of thinking on the fly, you know, Larry Mack would can go and, and basically say, well, here's the fuel window. Here's what people might be trying to do, but also let's look at the race trends here. You know, he had all that information and Andy Petrie did too. Um, both of them had that and it, it really made it more entertaining and informative when following the race. Um, I felt, and I think personally, since both of those people have stopped, you know, covering uh, and and discuss it, it, commentating full time, I think it's really hurt the overall quality. You know, Steve Letard isn't bad, but I don't think he's the best color. He he doesn't have that booth chemistry that Andy Petrie or or Larry Mack had. I think he's a he's good at what he does. He he provides informative commentary but it, it, it's just the chemistry isn't there i think and that's that's my i don't dislike steve latard i think he's a smart guy but in terms of being a color commentator i think he needs some work but anyway um uh let's let's get in let's let's stop talking about the stuff that uh is fluff let's get into the real the real news of the of the whole show is North Wilkesboro. We got some major news this weekend on North Wilkesboro. So Saturday afternoon at Bristol Motor Speedway, the news was made official that racing is returning to North Wilkesboro Speedway in August of this year. Produced by XR Events, Racetrack Revival will put on a show that includes super late models, street stocks, pro late models, limited late models, open wheel modifieds, late model stocks, and Hornets on the pavement. Then, before races in October, the pavement will be ripped up, and they'll put a uh, a layer of dirt down and run super late models, 410 sprint cars, big block modified street stocks, open wheel modifieds, uh, 602 crate late models, 604 crate late models, stock cars, and Hornets will uh, run on that dirt uh, surface before new pavement is laid down in uh after in the next year so we are getting new events at north wilkesboro grassroots racing which i got no problems with um i didn't expect uh you, you know them to come right out of the gate and be like oh we're bringing nascar here you know i didn't expect that uh the fact of the matter is they need to get a solid local racing base going for wilkesboro in order to make it economically feasible just based on its location and just based on, you know, the capacity, the parking, all of that, you have to factor in, you know, it's, it's good to have, um, grassroots racing there. Uh, and then, you know, if the grassroots racing goes well, then you can maybe aim for NASCAR, but you know, they, the way the, 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 uh, the, the press conference went, the way Marcus Smith was talking, it, it seemed like, you know, Cup is not is not necessarily is not on the table. Cup and Xfinity are not really on the table right now. Trucks possibly, but Cup and Xfinity are not on the table right now. Things that they just it's just too soon. You know, could Cup come there maybe in by twenty by the end of the decade? Maybe, maybe. You know, I think if they have enough success, then maybe we could see Cup coming there by the end of the decade. But I think that's still stretching it. 
I still I think you're still looking at you have to instill a solid fan base at North Wilkesboro to make it happen. And hopefully they have put a solid uh, plan for that to happen in place, which it seems like it has. And the fact that they're running some dirt races on that will always help. Um, because if you can bring, if you can bring dirt cars out there, there's a lot of people that really, really like their dirt track racing. And, you know, for me personally, I'm a guy who loves, uh, you know, dirt modifieds, and pavement modifieds. I love watching that grassroots stuff. You know, I, yeah, the NASCAR we in the modified tour is cool and all, but nothing beats watching a big block modified at a place like Winchester or Salem or some or or, or something like that. You know what I mean? That's that's real cool. That's the type of racing that I really like. So to see them bringing that kind of stuff to Wilkesboro for both pavement and dirt is really exciting. But uh, Josh, I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts on this because you you are. Not far, I guess, from North Wilkesboro. I, you're you're closer to it than I am, but uh, I, I was I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I guess as a I guess I'll use the word quote unquote local. Uh, what are your some of your thoughts on this news about uh, North Wilkesboro coming back? I mean, this is something I never thought we we would say. Even as a fan, um, never thought we'd see Grayson come back there. I can't speak much to it uh, because I work. <laughs> Work there uh, for Speedway Motorsports, but I mean it, it's it's pretty cool to see this happen. We found this out a few days before, and uh, pretty excited um, to to uh, to see this. I mean, look, it's a stepping stone, right? And and it's going to be a place. It's going to be a multi-purpose facility. I mean, Rob, you and I have discussed it on here before. You, you if you're a racetrack today, especially a big track, you have to be multi-purpose. You have to be you know, Charlotte Motor Speedway has the auto fair. Indianapolis Motor Speedway isn't just the Indianapolis 500 anymore. It's it's NASCAR. It, it was formula that are held there. They had ra- airplane races. So you have to, yeah, yeah, there's the, a way more events at IMS yeah, than there used to be. Yeah, I mean, thirty you, years right. ago, <laughs> yeah, it was one. It was used for four weeks out of the year. That was it. So you have to be a multi-purpose facility. So. Um, you know, I think this is a fun start. It's a great, it's a great way to sort of send off. I don't even know what version, because I don't know if North Wilkesboro was ever repaved after it was initially paved. Um, but it's a cool way to bring it back, send it off, and then to kick off, you know, its next, its next chapter. So, um, if I'm, I don't, uh, know if I'll be in town for some of these because I actually haven't uh, checked my calendar. But if I am, I will be heading up to Wilkes County. It's not too far of a drive, as you mentioned, for me. Um, and I, I would love to go there and watch these races for sure, whether it, both on the on the pavement and uh, and the dirt. I'm excited to see it. It would be really cool to see any race at Wilkesboro, personally, oh, yes. just for the historical reasoning. Yes. I mean it's a great it's 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 a unique short track. It's 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 a very I love the fact I, as I used to read about it in in books. I had a racetrack book like I listed all the NASCAR racetracks um and Wilkesboro was was in there as gone but not forgotten, which I guess we can we could change that up now. As it you know what else was in there too? Nashville Fairgrounds. You know what I, I, I can also change up too. I, I was at an event for our Nashville for US Legend Cars in Nashville this weekend and two of our days were at the Fairground Speedway. Mm-hmm. And I had the same feeling walking in there and like, 
I'm standing in the middle of history here. Yeah. And it'd be so cool to one day see big NASCAR return there. I mean, I still think. at the end of the day, G-Rob, that they had. We're talking. Yes, it was, it looks so good too. So, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's like that. It's a, it's, it's a cool to see these tracks that in North Wilkes Pro's case, let's call it dormant, very, very dormant. It, it um, was. In, in Fairgrounds case, it's, it's it's, been soldiering, it's soldiering on, but if one or two things go wrong, it's gone. You know that. So it's sort of living on the edge. So to see a Wilkesboro that's coming back to life, even on a grassroots level, and see fairgrounds where you have the interest to bring big time racing back, uh, we're living in a good era here for for racing where we see so many tracks close. It's just good to see some of these ones that are historic. Um. Be safe. Get a new lease on life. Yeah, really. I mean, we really see. I mean, I really am amazed at at how you know ten years ago people were talking about. You know, this is probably the end of Wilkesboro. You know, yeah. the the races that they ran there in twenty ten, I think, were cool, but it didn't it didn't work out. You know, there was a lot of talk of this. This track is just this is it. This is the end. We tried. It didn't work goodbye and now here we are 10 years later being like wow we actually this there's going to be races here again not nascar but there's going to be racing here yeah and and it doesn't matter if it's nascar not now if you want to talk about what nascar could do to capitalize on this is instead of focusing so hard on the cup series they could really revitalize the truck series um by focusing on getting the truck series to a place like wilkesboro or like nashville um again not saying it has to happen immediately, but long term, I would like to see them take the truck series back to more short, more of those short tracks that we right like. There right there with uh, you. Yeah, I know you are. I know you are. You know, and that's another thing is too is I'm wondering, you know, how long is it going to be until Arca goes to that goes to Wilkesboro? Would that be something that would be more possible or probable in uh, say twenty twenty three or four? You know. I feel like that is something that's a lot more likely than NASC than the truck series. I think ARCA would be a good testing ground to really see, you know, can we can we draw a crowd for NASCAR? You know, it's not NASCAR Cup Series, but it's ARCA. Could can like an ARCA East event, could this draw a crowd? Well, I would know? I would even I would yeah, I would at the very least make it an ARCA ARCA East combination race. And I would definitely put a North Wilkesboro on in, in Nashville Fairgrounds um, on a come, you know, one day ARC is going to get combined, folks, but um, on a national 28 race schedule for ARCA where, you know, it, those two tracks are definitely on that calendar for me um, because ARCA needs to be, uh, they put the, they put on their best racing when they're on shorter 
goals. So they always have. Yeah, always have, always will. And they they've done dirt pretty well as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Arca, the short tracks and dirt miles, very, 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 very well. Yeah. One of the only only tra- uh, only sanctioning bodies that can say they do uh, stock cars on dirt pretty well. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I got some thoughts. Not negative, not positive. Kind of in the middle. We'll get to that. But, but first, we have to get to our featured paint scheme because we have just wrapped up the news section and we're talking about our featured paint scheme. We're just talking about truck series. What we like about truck series. Well, you know what I like about truck series? I like truck series paint schemes. Um, and we got some good ones for you this week. So the 2010, we're focused on the 2010 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, which was a very interesting uh, season. One of my personal favorites to go back and watch. Uh, it was a very cool season. First season of Kyle Busch Motorsports. Um, last season of the Truck Series have independent graphics. An independent graphics package. Like, just for itself. You remember that? You know that? Because the very next year, Speed got the rebranding, which... Personally, I preferred that logo, Any the, the new logo that, that they ended with. I thought that was a nice, cool logo, but uh, it was it was graphically, aesthetically pleasing, but I missed the old Truck Series graphics as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, this was this was a cool season, and we have a couple of paint schemes that we're going to talk about. So, Josh, you're going to go ahead and take, take away our first one, and then I'm going to fill in with mine. I'm excited to talk about mine, so I'm going to give Josh the floor. Uh, so that you can all uh, build up that anticipation. <laughs> uh, I'm going with the number 31 Wolfpack Rental Chevrolet for Turner Motorsports, uh, which was driven by James Busher. Um, it's actually the second version of it, which had a day glow orange trimming on the um, spoiler and the um, side skirts of the of the truck. Um the the cool thing about this was this was before Turner Motorsports kind of became the Turner Motorsports we knew and the Turner Scott and H Scott down the line. Um, it had the thirty one that was like the thirty one RCR font, um, and it had black on top, wool white in the middle, then it was gray on the bottom. Um, this version started running at Texas in June, uh, and it ran. Um, it was on the truck for fourteen of the seventeen races that Wolfpack sponsored that year um Busher's best finish was second at new hampshire and he started second four times at gateway darlington bristol and las vegas the wolfpack cars always look good i don't they just they just all look good it was one of the i wish the sponsor was still around sponsoring somebody um so yeah i i always like this one because i'm like are we sure this is an rcr are we sure it looks like rcr out there but um, no, it was its own, and uh, you know James Busher ends up winning the championship. Was that that was twenty thirteen, right? Uh, twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. So um, yeah, oof, what a that's a strange, long, strange story right there. But uh, um, yeah, so that's my pick. Uh, always liked the car. I remember our first uh, the first time I saw it. I was actually at Texas. Um, so with this orange trimming and, uh, just caught my eye. I've always kind of been fond of it. And I think the really thing that gets me, is just, it's the number. If it was just the regular 31 that Turner would end up using, I don't know if it stands out as much to me, but the 31 with RCR definitely is the kicker for me. So, uh, always enjoyed that one, Rob. Uh, tell everyone about yours. Okay. So I, I've got, I've got a cool one. How about this for a neat little story that I 
discover they didn't really discover i kind of knew about this but i didn't know much about it until looking into it so my pick is the number 48 tna wrestling yes you heard me tna wrestling uh it's now known as impact wrestling um Chevrolet Silverado that was driven by Hermie Sadler. Hermie Sadler, old Herm, for the for Andy Hillenberg's Fast Track Racing Enterprises. Now, you're probably sitting here thinking, like, wow, this is out there. What are you? This I what what is this? Josh, you're you're staring at me like, what is going on? Uh yeah, TNA is still around. It's known as Impact Wrestling now. It's much better than it used to be. But uh, if you watched it, this was back then. Back then, this was during a time where uh, there, TNA actually had a pretty solid roster back the, back back in 2010. Um, and one of the wrestlers on 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 the on the roster was Jeff Hardy, who's now uh, with uh, AEW. He was with WWE, but now he's with AEW. He's res- he's wrestling with his brother Matt again. Um, they're not able to be known as the Hardy Boys. They're called the Hardys, but yeah. I call them the Hardy Boys because everybody knows what they are. Um, <laughs> that's what they—that's what they've been known for for years. Um, but anyway, so according to Jayski, that's right. This paint scheme was designed by Jeff Hardy, and I have the. Uh, this is really cool here. I have pulled up an interview with Jeff Hardy regarding this. And he says, quote, I was asked to create a design for a race truck. When I asked what kind of design, they said, just something like your paintings. Because Jeff Hardy is uh, a painter as well, in addition to being a wrestler and a charismatic enigma and everything else. Uh, And this is exactly what I got. After seeing the final design, I was blown away, Hardy said. And then Hermie Sadler was quoted as saying, quote, I'm thrilled that Jeff wanted to show his skills and design this truck. Uh, it will be cool to see what NASCAR and TNA wrestling fans think of the design, and hopefully Jeff's large fan base in North Carolina will be in Charlotte pulling for us. Pulling for us. So uh, that was the truck that raced in the North Carolina Lottery Education Lottery 200 at Charlotte Motor Speedway in 2010. Now, this is a very awesome-looking truck. Um, and so it, it's it's got, uh, you know, the TNA Thursday, which, by the way, it's still on. Thursdays. You can still watch Impact Wrestling on Thursdays, which is kind of cool. I'm glad that they moved back to Thursdays. But anyway, uh, this paint scheme just it's it is a good looking paint scheme, and they do have die casts of this as well. Uh, you could probably look up look up if you could find it. Good luck. But uh, yeah, old Hermie Sadler drove this car. It's got a black base uh, with uh, you know, so it's kind of got a black base, and then it's got silver and blue as well. So there's silver on the back black bed of the truck. And then there's blue accent highlights uh, separating the silver from the black uh, on the truck. Uh, and then on the hood, and I can't quite specifically make out the logo on the hood. There's not really a ton of great shots of it, but I think it's Jeff Hardy's logo or his brand logo. Uh, he signed the back of the truck, which is actually kind of cool, too. Um but I think that's what's on the logo of the truck or on the hood of the truck is, is Jeff Hardy's logo. Um, just can't see it. Like all the diecast pictures don't have it like facing head on all of the pictures that I was able to find of the car on track. Don't have it facing head on. So I can't really see, but based on what I know of Jeff Hardy, I'm pretty sure that's his logo. Um, 
But yeah, this is just a weird, obscure thing. Who would have thought Hermie Sadler ran a TNA wrestling car and it was designed by a wrestler and and it was designed by Jeff Hardy of all people too, which, man, I didn't know it was designed by Jeff Hardy, which was, that's news to me, Uh, maybe news to other people. If you're a wrestling fan, maybe you did know this, maybe you didn't know this happened, I don't know, but uh, I just thought it was really cool. Maybe Jeff Hardy has a future in designing paint schemes after he's done wrestling. I'm I mean, the guy's still going strong. I thought he would have retired years ago. He's still going strong. He's and and you know what else is? It, it looks if you ever see Jeff Hardy's face paint when he goes out and wrestles, he does that himself too. So the art is not lost here at all. Um, so definitely very fun to talk about that. Very cool uh, to tie in some more wrestling discussion because you know you know me. I'm a I'm wrestling trash. It is what it is. Um, let's get into the next segment of the show, which is the fun one, Upshift and Downshift, Josh. Are you ready for... I'm, I'm ready for it. Let's, let's go. We got some Let, Let's just here. jump right into it, everybody. If you're new here, uh, Upshift, Downshift, it's our debate segment. Um, if you, if we are presented with a series of just statements, questions, what have you, uh, and, uh, if we agree with them, we upshift. If we disagree with them, we downshift. And that's pretty much how it goes. Um, and then if we don't feel one way or the other, we can put it into neutral. Um, typically we try to not do that because we like to favor good discussion. So, uh, we'll try and keep those that keep that too, but you can, you can participate along as well. Uh, you could tweet us, uh, with your, your answers, your upshifts or your downshifts. You can also the Spotify question of the week. If you're a Spotify user, you could probably look at it right now. You've probably already seen it. But uh, if you're a Spotify user, you can answer our featured question that is right there in the app. And we do read it. We, we can read and we can see everybody's answers. We can see where uh, kind of take a good poll on our listeners, see what they think, see where they're going with. So remember to uh, play along with that if you're able. If not, no worries. You can tweet us or just talk about it in your head. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with our first question today. Roger Penske says that Indy, the IndyCar schedule should be between 15 and 19 races. Now, obviously, I like this, but I'm curious to see where Josh falls on this. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? Downshift, because I think it should be more. I, I, I really... Th- I, I, I He mentioned that, you know, there could be some street courses that drop off because, you know, maybe... Or, or gore courses that drop off because contracts aren't renewed or don't want to be renewed by a party. Um... But I would just, you know, if they wanted to keep the road courses or street courses that they are at, the number of them, whether they, you know, switch up the location, um, which roads and street courses are involved, I would just like to see him add, you know, there's 17 races this year, um, two of which are at Iowa. Uh, I would just love to see him add four to, you know, four ovals. Just add four ovals to the calendar. Um, I, I feel like, I don't know. I just, I just don't like that IndyCar has got less than twenty races, and uh, I don't like that. In some cases, there's, there's a big break. I mean, like right now, there, there's a, there's a multi-week break between races, and uh, it kills the momentum. And you, they don't need to shallow up the, the calendar any more than that they are. Um, you know, with it beginning in late February, early March. And ending shortly after Labor Day, I just don't think that's don't think that's good. So I, I downshift. They need to be going twenty twenty one races, uh, maybe even twenty two races a year. So um, yeah, that's how I feel about it. 
that's good. I, I I would say that you're you're right on. I think it's I think adding ovals is a lot easier said than done. I mean, you have, there's a lot of things that factor into that. I mean, I know you probably can't comment on it a bunch, but you know, a lot of the times it's it, it's a track ownership, you know, that doesn't either doesn't want to take the chance or NASCAR doesn't want to let them host. Like in the case of Richmond, um, you know, because you're 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 taking a lot of risk at this point, you know, in, in bringing IndyCar to an oval track, you, you, you don't know how many tickets it's going to sell. Right. And as much as I hate that as the reality, it's, it's the reality. Like I hate it being reality. Believe me, if it, if, if we lived in a perfect world, you know, oval tracks, oval race would be outselling the road and street courses. At least that's my perfect world. I'm sure in Roger Penske's perfect world, everything's selling out, but you know, in my perfect world, ovals are, are more popular, but that's just not the reality of it. And is and even though it frustrates me, it it's just not the reality. Even even said, I think that what you've said here is absolutely spot on. I think that when you have large gaps like that, you do kill your momentum. Um, you can't build a schedule that you where you only rate are racing. You have you can't have a schedule where there's a time where you're only racing once a month. You have to be racing at a minimum of two two races a month, um, and I don't care how those get divvied up. If you want to race one at the beginning of the month and then wait three months, uh, three weeks, and then hold another one at the end of the month, that's fine. I don't care. It's just you you can't be going. You can't have a situation like what we had at the beginning of the season, what we're going through now, where we had a race at Long Beach last week, and now we're not going to see another one until May first, which is going to be, you know, an, another two weeks from now. You know, I, I I don't like how in how IndyCar goes about and does that. I think you know, like they they needed to have two races in the month of April. You know, or or three. You know, three. You need to be getting people ready for Indianapolis. You know, you can't wait until May. May's supposed to be when everybody's putting their focus on Indianapolis. You know, that's when you're supposed to be hosting the Grand Prix, getting everybody ready for the Grand Prix, and then getting everybody ready for the 500. And then you can focus on the rest of the season. But before that, you know, you've got to get you got to get the ball rolling. You got to get people into this stuff. You know that that's something that I feel like IndyCar really is is struggling with right now. They did it really well several years ago, where they actually had, uh, even though they started the rate the season a little bit later than they did this year, um, they had more races. You know, either one that you know you had one race and then you had maybe a week break and then you had another race and then a week break, another race. And it was just like, it was constant. You know, there was never a point where you were sitting there waiting for the next IndyCar race. Um, and you had ovals before that. I think 2010 was, was really, I always look for 2010 and I say that should be the ideal schedule. You should be modern day schedule. You should be doing, cause I feel like 2010 had the perfect, mix of ovals road and street courses um it, it, and and in general it was just a really well done 2009 as well but more so 2010 because i think it was more even in terms of road and street courses um or excuse me in terms of it was more even in terms of the oval to road and street course split uh, i think that's where roger Pedsky needs to be shooting for is something like that along the lines. And unfortunately, I, I think you're right in that it doesn't allow for this 19 race maximum. Um, and I've always been a strong critic of this whole ending the season by or around Labor Day. I think it's stupid. Um, NASCAR 
doesn't need to do that. NASCAR, in fact, increases the amount of races, the, the, the intensity after Labor Day. Uh, Formula One is ramping up, like really buckling down on having a bunch of races uh, after Labor Day. And IndyCar is just sitting here being like, oh, hey, yeah, while NASCAR and Formula One are reaping the benefits, we're just sitting here in the offseason. I'm sorry, but that's it might have worked when the Boston Consulting Group made this decision back in like 2013, but it doesn't work now. Like, I'm sorry, it doesn't work now. It's not, it's not practical. You need to be, you need, it's not a bad thing to go up against the NFL. I understand that's like the bad no no word. Nobody wants to go up against the NFL. You can't go up against the NFL. Yes, you can. NASCAR has been doing it for years and now Formula One is doing it. It, it, you, you can go up against the, the NFL. And I understand, oh, but Formula One, they don't race during the NFL. It doesn't matter. If they have a race in the Middle East and it's going on at 1 o'clock, they're going up directly against the NFL, and I don't think they care. Okay? They, they're, they're all in on getting this American audience, and they're more than willing to host Circuit of the Americas in October, November, during NFL football season. Right. I... I'm sorry, but I don't see where IndyCar's coming from. So ultimately, I'm going to downshift with you. Penske, number one, you need to be looking at it at least. I think, my personal opinion, if you want to add more road street courses in there, that's fine. But as long as, like Josh said, four ovals, that's fine. I think 22 races should be the maximum uh, with at least two races being run per month. Um, I understand that teams might not like that, but... I, I know it's easy to say as a, from a fan, from a fan standpoint, but you got to do what's best for the sport. And right now, being irrelevant during times where your biggest competitors are relevant is going to hurt IndyCar a lot more than it's likely to help it. Um, unless you have any rebuttal to that, Josh, or you want to agree with anything, more well, we can move I, on. I, here. I think I, I think you're right. I think I think I do think you're right. Um, they have nothing to add or or argue with. <laughs> I, I think we both in agreement in different ways. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not that I don't want to upshift. I do think that 19 races is good, but this whole, but the 15 thing is what concerns me is the fact that he's putting his minimum at 15 when I think actually 18 or 19 should be the minimum. You know, that's, what's kind of surprising to me is that he's like between 15, 19. Well, that that's a low minimum 15 races. Right. I mean, you're looking at, that's a junior category schedule at yeah. that point. Yeah. That's that's unacceptable for a major racing series. Okay, next piece of next question here before I get too much into that because we could probably talk all day about that. Brad Keselowski has finally cracked into the top thirty in points after the Fruit City Dirt Race. Do you upshift or downshift that he wins before the end of the regular season, Josh? I'm going to downshift. Um, I mean that the, the RFK. Uh, I think they're running better this year compared to last year. But they don't have winning speed right now at the moment. Um, outside of winning a race at Daytona or Talladega or even Atlanta uh, in July with a super speedway, I, I just don't see RFK and Brad Keselowski going to victory lane. So um, I do think he's going to miss the playoffs as a result of it. So I downshift. Well, you know, I think anything can happen. Uh, I, I think that the level of parity in this year's Cup Series has made made it for a situation where anything can happen. And I don't necessarily, I don't feel right counting him out yet. 
I don't even feel right counting Chris Buescher out yet. You know, I think they've had runs, especially on super speedways, where it looks like they could win. And they won the dual races, which is a good start, which means they have speed on the plate races, which is important. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility. So I'm actually going to go opposite of you here. I'm going to upshift. I think that he can get it done. I don't know where it's likely to happen either this weekend at Talladega in, in Atlanta in July um, or at Daytona in August. But, I, 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 you know, that's, that's still three races that are possible. And then you're, you're, you, you have to factor in, you know, them nailing a setup one day and coming out of the gate and having a top 10 car and maybe getting lucky. You know, I, I, I know it looks bad and I know it's really tough. I know they're going through some growing pains. I know Brad's growing through being an owner, but Brad has ran a successful truck team. I think given some time, I think by the end of the season, I think that I think he'll have a win or he'll be on the cusp of making the playoffs. So next question here, that's that's my answer. Uh, next question here, aside from the win at Richmond, Denny Hamlin has failed to reach the top, has failed to finish in the top 10 at all this season. Do you upshift or downshift this? That he'll, what, what's, what, what's, what, I mean, how does Hamlin handle this? What do you, how, how do you up, how do you do this? How does Hamlin handle this? What do you, how, how do you shift on his, uh, on the rest of his season going? Kind of downshift. Um, I don't know what's going on. Uh, it seems like every week it's something different for that 11 team. Um, I mean, his other two best finishes are 13th and 15th, but everything else is 20th or worse. And I think that 13th and 15th were kind of aided by some late race cautions, I believe. So, yeah, I, just, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> this is an organization that, I mean, Toyota is struggling, but it, Denny Hamlin, it's been rather bad and he spent more time outside the top 25 than i think he spent inside the top 25 which is going to compete for championships and he was so consistent last year i mean he's just knocking on a win and then finally gets it done the first race of the playoffs last year um yeah i just i got downshift i don't know what's going on um and i don't know what they can do i you just gotta find a way to finish inside the top 20 consistently, then try to finish away, finish in the top 10. Yeah, downshift. You know, here's the thing. I'm agreeing with you. Uh, I think it's going to be a rough a rough road ahead. Um, unlike Brad Keselowski and RFK Racing, Denny Hamlin has not, has not really had as many flashes of brilliance as, as, anyone, as, as the, as, like I said, RFK, you know, and I, and I'm making that, comparison here because i'm going to preface this what i'm going to say you know rfk has ran well chris busher has ran well and he's had good finishes he's done well but you know you ask the question okay well can they can they get a, get a win can they get a win well yeah i think they can and in that same regard you ask because it's because denny hamlin got a win i i say that because if denny hamlin is able to have literally the worst season imaginable and then go to one of his best racetracks and win. I think that that, that shows a lot to the level of parity that we're seeing right now in the cup series. It's not a one-to-one comparison. 
obviously. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but it kind of shows what, what is possible, which is, again, why this th- my answer here is also being used to solidify my answer to the previous question, just for just for record. Um, but anyway, what I'm going to say here is is I think all of Toyota is just, just struggling. I mean, besides Kyle Busch winning this week at, at Bristol, which really was a fluke, I mean, I'm not calling. It's not often you call Kyle Busch wins flukes, but really, I mean, that's what it was. He kind of I mean, hacked himself into a win there. He, he did back himself into a win, and but that's not to say that he didn't have a top five car. He, yeah. It's not to say he didn't have the best car. It's just he was not in the lead at the last in the last lap. So I mean, it's kind of a fluke. He wasn't even in second. It's he was like at least five tenths behind the leaders. It's kind of a fluke. I'm I'm sorry to say that, but it kind of is. It, but it a f- one fluke win doesn't take away anything from Kyle Busch. So I don't also feel bad about saying that. But anyway, more to my point is Christopher Bell is having really good runs, but Hamlin and Truex have basically been also rans this entire season. I I have really not even focused on the fact that it, it's it's kind of they they kind of just. Lose, I lose track of the fact that they're even in the race. I forgot Hamlin and Truex were even in the races this weekend. Like, I just did. I completely forgot they were even out there because they were not relevant at all. Um, Not even in their heat races. In their heat races, they were irrelevant. In the actual race, they were irrelevant. Hamlin crashed, and Truex was multiple laps down. And it was like, wow, <laughs> what is going on? And it's like, and, and it, it, it kind of took me a minute to realize, but is this, this Bristol Dirt... Their performance in Bristol Dirt was not a one-off. This has been consistent, where both Hamlin and Truex are kind of just also rans. Um, and while Bell has had some pretty solid runs, Kyle Busch, who got one fluke win, <laughs> has surprisingly been kind of the banner uh, flyer for Toyota. Because 2311 is struggling even worse. Kurt Busch is having one heck of a season. Bubba Wallace couldn't catch a break if it, it was like right in front of him. And I don't know what they're going to do over at that 2311 camp because it just seems like everybody's having a rough day. If Kurt's having a good run, Bubba's going doing doing poorly. If Bubba's doing well, Kurt's doing poorly. If both of them are doing poorly, that's more often than not. Um, and it's just it's just rough. I think all of Toyota is is having is having a big time struggle. And Denny Hamlin for himself, I I don't know if it's going to get much better. I mean, I think that one win at Richmond is really, really big. But if we're seriously sitting here talking about potentially more than 16 drivers making the playoffs, we might need to start looking at Denny Hamlin as one of those guys who might might be on the outside looking in, even with a win. Yeah. You know, And I'm not saying – I know it might be too early to say that because we just had our first repeat winner last week. But it's not out of the realm of possibility, and based on the trends, one repeat winner in what are we now? Eight races in? Eight, nine eight, races in? You have eight winners through nine races. Through nine races? So you could so that's eight. So you have eight more different winners in the next. Yeah, I mean, you could. It's it's it's, it's possible. When think of the guys who haven't right. Won. We're still talking about people like Chase Elliott, like Christopher Bell, who I was just talking about, who has Logano, Truex has one, Logano hasn't won. Blaney hasn't won. You're right. You're absolutely Bell, right. Suarez, Reddick. Suarez is coming. Reddick's is coming. Both those guys, they're getting their win. But Chastain has a win. That's something we didn't really see happening earlier this season. But now that's that's happened. You know, Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon has been having some 
very and you know what this I'll talk about this later when we get into the get into that but dude Austin Dillon had a top five car all race yep and the engine blew yep I poor dude I I don't know what to say about him I I but Austin Dillon's gonna get a win I can guarantee you that uh the way he's been running both RCR cars are gonna get wins at the yep. way they've both been running. Uh, Reddick's been making more more noise out front, but then Dylan is always right there, always Dylan right there running top five. Creeps into the picture late race, oh, which is all you got to do. And and you know what? Even though he's struggling a little bit this year, I have to imagine a Kevin Harvick's due for a win. Yeah, um, Kevin Harvick's probably due for a win sooner rather than later. I don't know when, but I mean, I see him as the point. next Stuart Haas guy to win. Probably. So it's not going to be Almirola. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's not going to be Almirola. Uh, it could be Briscoe, but he's already won. Um, Harvick's got to beat Cole Custer. Cole Custer, could he luck into one? I don't know. It's just, it's just rough. It's, it, it, it goes to the point where, where Danny Hamlin is going to have, he's got his work cut out for him right now. Yeah. Um, he's going to have a rough go to the season if things don't start turning around and he starts clicking off at the very least, uh, consistent finishes, you right. know? Because getting right. one win and then finishing 30th the next three weeks is not indicative of making the playoffs, uh, especially not not right now. Um, so I kind of made my point clear on that, I think. I hope. I've talked a lot about it. So let's get into the next one here. Uh, NASCAR in Goodyear are considering holding a tire test at Martinsville in preparation for the fall race. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? Simple. I upshift. I think it's uh, a necessary deal. It's one of the problem or one of the potential solutions to the problem that was experienced at Martinsville. Um, I do think no matter the the temperature, the tire compound was too hard. Um, so to find a tire compound that would be more appropriate, especially for a race that is going to be the penultimate race of the year, um, is 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 very needed it, it's almost a necessity so this is a good idea uh they they shouldn't be considering it they should have already hey we're having one we just don't know when so um i upshift yeah it's it's hard not to upshift this one it seems pretty cut and dry why um why it's necessary uh i think that you know another thing though is you have to keep in mind is it could be more than the tire um, we were talking about it last week with with Chad Canals too, talking about it. Like it's the it's a ride height issue too. It's a ride height issue as well. I mean, and that's something that has to be looked at and adjusted as well. It's not just the tires. It's not just you know the track. It's it's a ride height issue as well. There's a lot of other things, but you know it's it's a fluid situation and it's a brand new car. NASCAR can work on it and fix it as they need it. And you know if they manage to to fix the things that were we were complaining about. I think it's fine. So ultimately, you know, I tire test is always good. I'd rather testing is always good. Testing usually works out well. So I got to upshift this. It's pretty, pretty cut and dry. That's a good thing. And anything that can help prevent another stinker at Martinsville is good. Uh, so next question here. How about this? Parker Kligerman is 14th in the uh, truck series points, despite competing in only four out of the six races so far in 2022. How you shifting on this? You upshifting or downshifting, Josh? Follow me. I downshift because it's wasting the guy's talent to be missing races when 
I think if he was in the right truck, look, that team he drives for Henderson, they, you know, they do, they do, they do pretty well for what they got. But um, if he was in a better truck, better equipment, man, what could this guy be doing? I mean, this is a guy who was going to be driving for RCR in the Xfinity Series this year until Austin Hill came in at the last minute and kind of brought more money to the table and got the ride instead. Um, I feel bad for Parker for that one. I, I, I hope that the field is, in the, even the Xfinity Series, is taking notes saying, okay, this this guy's making a lot out of a, of a little. What can he make with a lot? Because he really hasn't had that opportunity in, in NASCAR. He drove a couple races for Penske in the Xfinity Series back in the day. An uh, R&D car. He has an R&D car. Um, but, you know, he, he, he really hasn't been having the, 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 the real opportunity. So... I downshift because I, it's a, it's a wasted talent. It's he's wasting his time, um, and I really wish that it's a slippery slope. I wish there's a way for him to be in the playoffs, even though he's missed two races. Because I would love for him to win and get in like that. And um, you know, it, it's just a shame. So um, yeah, I uh, I downshift this one for that reason. But I, I do upshift him being there because he's got the talent. But I downshift it in general because I think he deserves a better shot. Well, no, I mean, I understand where you're coming from from that. But I, I think, you know, with Parker, it, Parker's a good driver. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. I like Parker Kligerman as a guy. I like him as a driver. I think he's really good, and I've always said he was really good. You know? You know, but... I, He's just, he's got to take advantage with, of what he has right now. He's got to take, and he's doing that. He's going out there, and he's running really, really, really well. And yeah. I think it doesn't matter if he gets into the playoffs or not. I think the fact of the matter is he could go out there, and he can win races, finish in the top five, put the truck in a good owner's points position. That's that's really all you can ask of a driver at some point, yeah. um, especially drivers that don't bring a lot of funding especially drivers who, you know, are journeyman drivers like like Parker is. Um, again, not taking anything away from him. I don't want anybody to think that I'm taking anything away from him. Parker's a jack-of-all-trades. Dude's great on the racetrack. He's great in the pits. You know, I, I got he's, – he's really fun to listen to in terms of his uh, motorsports opinions because this guy Par- – I love how Parker follows everything. He's like – He does. He's like he just does. you and me. I mean, if it's got wheels and goes fast, he'll watch it on TV. You know, yeah. he's he's just he's lucky. He's very blessed and lucky that he gets to go out there and race him as well. You yeah. know, like you and I would probably love to go out there and race him, but we can only talk about him and watch him. Uh, he gets to go out there and race him and talk about him and watch him. So, uh, you know, ultimately, I just think Parker's doing everything, and and his time will come. I think you look at someone like Landon Castle. Who uh, was it? Was I think people would would say was in the same situation? You know, this guy was making was 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 putting you know Morgan Shepard's car in top ten in qualifying, you know, or and and, and really making the most out of what he had. And now he's got a great opportunity with Colleague Racing. He's got sponsorship. You know, it, it he worked hard at it, and I think Parker can get there too. It, it's just going to take a while. You know, people thought, when was it going to happen for Landon? When was he going to get back in a good car? Because he had that opportunity with Front Row Racing. It went pretty well, but the sponsorship backed out, and they, it, it, I mean, it just didn't continue. But now he's with Colleague, and he's reinventing himself, and he's proving to be a consistent front-running driver. 
uh, like everybody always knew he was. And I'm sure that win will come. And in the same regard, I think that that win will come for Parker as well. It's it's just all about, it's all about like what he's doing right now is building his resume, keeping his resume fresh. Um, and I, I don't really have a problem with him only running a handful of races here and there if he's running really well in a handful of races that he's starting. Okay, so that's how I, I think I already explained that. So next question here, uh, second to last one. Chase Elliott is the points championship leader in the Cup Series with only one top five but zero wins. But he also has six top tens with a best average finish with the best of average finish of all the full-time drivers combined. Do you upshift or downshift this statement, Josh? I mean, it's a, you got to upshift. I know it statistically doesn't look the best, but when you look at the rundown of the other, and now they're going to get their opportunity to um, to win and chase just like Chase. So, uh, you know, I upshift because I think they're getting the results at the end of the day. It's a long journey. It's kind of like Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon shows up late in the race. I think Chase Elliott more often than not this year shows up at the end of the race and like just like this other night, this Sunday night, he was kind of hanging around in the teens and then all of a sudden at the end of the race, he's there. So, um, you know, he's running the top five, ultimately finishes eighth or ninth. So, uh, I upshift. I don't have a problem with this. Yeah, no, I I don't upsh- I don't have a problem with it either. And in fact, I would take that argument and say this is Chase Elliott getting revenge for everybody who called his 2020 championship a Mickey Mouse championship. Yeah, he's like, oh, you think I won this illegitimately? Well, watch me win it while being the most consistent driver. What are you gonna say now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I don't I don't have an issue with this. Consistency wins championships. Consistency is supposed to matter. Hey, if Chase Elliott's getting top tens, top fives, and getting playoff points, and he's doing it better than everybody else, it's just not winning, then who cares? There's more power to him. You know, prove everybody who's in his Twitter mentions calling him a Mickey Mouse champion, prove everyone who's doing that wrong by basically winning a championship or being on pace to win a championship uh, by being the most consistent driver with no wins. Because then I guess I don't that's, remember that's the argument. I don't remember the argument specifically, but I, I was listening to someone or listening, read through someone who called Chase Elliott's championship less legit than Kyle Bush's in 2015. I'm like, uh, Chase ran all 36 what? races. Kyle Bush missed 11. Okay. Okay, no, I I, I, hold on. My brain needs to process how stupid that is. Holy cow. Yeah. Holy cow. Were you laughing at me? Are you weren't offended? Were you... No, 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 no. I was okay. I was reaching for something. I mean, it's it was just so funny that I'm like, there's there's I mean, I'm one of those people who I mean I I would say the same for Tony Stewart, I'd say for anything, that if you miss that many races, you shouldn't be playoff eligible. Um because to me, I think you still have to be mathematically able to win the championship in a in that kind of a sense. Um, and if you miss 15 races, you're not mathematically able to win the championship unless the points leaders all have like 13 races where they DNF'd and got one point. Then maybe you have a chance, but that doesn't happen. What are the odds of that ever happening? It's not happening. Yeah, it doesn't happen. So, I mean, you know, what Chase is doing, and it, it, it's, but. It's what Denny did last year. Denny didn't win a race till race twenty seven of the year. 
but he was the most consistent and lost the regular season championship at the 11th hour. So, you know. Larson had those more race wins. Race had, he had more race wins. Him because yeah. those, those playoff points were really important. I mean, yeah. they played they play a role at the end, at the end mm-hmm. of everything. People don't like to talk about that, but, you know, for as much criticism as the playoff playoffs get, I like the addition of stage and playoff points just because of the added levels of consistency. It makes the consistent drivers rise to the top instead of, you know, the guys who won five races but DNF ten times being up at the up at the front. You yep. know, that's what I've always said. You know, if if NASCAR's hell bent on doing this style of championship, then at the very least, they need to incorporate a way to make consistency matter, and they've done that. No matter how controversial it is, they have done that. And, you know, I, I can't I can't argue with drivers just playing to the rules, and that's what's happening right now. So, no, Chase is, Chase is being – Chase is doing fine. Chase, Chase doesn't need to win yet. He's got plenty of time to win. He's got a bunch of road courses. He's got other races he could probably win. You know, you don't have to get that win right away, you know, and we've seen that in the past where, you know, sometimes like uh, it's different, different format, different time period. But think about Tony Stewart, you know, there were times where Tony Stewart, you know, just he didn't have a win until the summer. And then he'd just start clicking off wins and it would be the summer of Tony Stewart, you know. He just start clicking off wins. Next thing you know, he's championship eligible, or he was more championship eligible before because even though he didn't win a bunch of races, he was consistent and he was in the top ten, top five. You know, and this was the case I would say for both his 2005 and 2011 championships, where they both got off the kind of a rocky start. But then, as soon as the summer turned around, he just started clicking off wins, and he had a bunch of uh, top fives and top tens and extra points. Some points cushions to help propel him up into championship contention and ultimately go on to win championships so you know you know i have no problem with this i chase is doing everything right um and to the point that i led off with that's really what i i want to say i want chase elliott go out on twitter and just tweet like who's the mickey mouse champion now (laughs) or something if he wins let's say he wins the championship he's the most consistent driver hypothetically i want to see him get his revenge that way (laughs) all right last question here last question last question alert chase briscoe dove into the final two corners of the food city dirt race attempting a slide job and hits tyler reddick something he attempted earlier in the race on austin dillon uh sending both of them spinning with kyle bush coming through and backing up into the win you upshift or downshift the move by Chase Briscoe, Josh? Downshift. There's no way he's ever going to make that corner. Um, y- you know, they say they're going for the win a lot. You know, you have this happen. I was going for the win, man. I was going for the win. And this younger generation, I feel like that envelope of pushing, going for the win, went from a little normal size envelope to uh you know three by five to like something you pack a huge well, i don't even know what something you get the ups store that big bubble wrap envelope that's what they're pushing now uh, you know and i think in that sense it, 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 it it's getting to the point where we're just kind of throwing the respect that that guy in front of you has 
Um, if this was, then that move is different if it's on the on the on the concrete because I think it it sticks a little bit better, obviously. Um, but that right there, he never had a shot to make that corner at the angle and speed he was going at and Reddick. He 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 robbed he robbed Reddick of that win, and um, you know I I, I commend Reddick for taking it so well. Um, I never expected Reddick to be, you know, like physical with him. That's not Reddick at all. But you know, I kind of expected Reddick to be like, I don't want to talk right now because that was another. That was another one that's just like was that close. Was that close to winning, and should have won. So I, I downshift Chase Briscoe's move because I kind of think it's it was kind it's approaching if it hasn't passed being disrespectful. Uh, just saying in 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 the, using the excuse I was going for the win doesn't always cover. It, it doesn't always cover, and we're seeing that more, and I don't like that. You know, here here's my take on this: it's 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 dirt, um, and I think when you're racing on dirt, I think there's some different rules than on pavement racing. Uh, slide jobs are typical, you know. What 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 Briscoe did. Uh, it was not a, a, an unusual move for a dirt track move. No, it wasn't. I, I'm not going to argue with that. I So I think given that mindset that he probably went into was, dude, I'd make this move at the Chili Bowl. Shoot, I'm going to make this move for a race win in NASCAR. You know what I mean? Um, and and I, I just, I don't think, I didn't think it was as egregious as maybe you did, but I also do, uh, but I do agree that Reddick got dumped. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a situation. It's a very delicate situation. I think on pavement, that's a cut and try. He dumped you on dirt. It's he attempted a slide job and it didn't go well. And this is what happens. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, there's a different, I think there's a different level of etiquette too. Um, and to your point as well, uh, you know, I think that you're right that drivers are starting to push the envelope more. Chase Briscoe, this isn't the first time that, you know, he's wrecked someone for the win and ended up without a chance to win himself. Yeah. Uh, this is not the first time this has happened. And, you know, I feel bad picking on the Mitchell, Indiana boy, but this isn't the first time it's happened, buddy. So, you know, once is an accident, twice is a pattern. This is, well... I think three times is a pattern, but three times, twice is a coincidence. Three times a pattern. Three times a pattern. So if it happens three times, if it happens a third time, then it'll be a pattern. But no, I, here, here's the thing, though. I, Reddick, Reddick. I was really surprised with how Reddick handled it. I didn't expect him to go throwing punches at him, but I kind of expected him to be like a little bit more disappointed. You know, when when Briscoe went up to him to apologize. I kind of expected him to just be like, yeah, buddy, I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, it doesn't doesn't help the fact that second sucks, but, you know, you know, I appreciate it, you know. But instead, he seemed all like, oh, no, it's okay, man. I didn't want to win anyway, you know. I knew you were there. Or then he's sitting there blaming himself, like, oh, I shouldn't have let very, him get close to me. so very critical of himself. And, and, and I get that. I am too. Yeah, I am I, too. I, but I think I might – I mean – I'm my own worst critic too, so I get that. 
I think I, he didn't I want think to show everything I, I write is shit. It wasn't his, not to interrupt you, man, but I think it was one of those deals where he didn't want to place all the blame on Briscoe, even though whether he wanted to or not, it's his mantra. What could I have done better to prevent that? It wasn't what did he do wrong? to do me wrong okay yeah you know that kind of that kind of thing i think that's what red that's reddick's persona to me what i've seen yeah and he did he did make it seem like oh, i was giving it I, I i let him get too close to me or i wasn't driving it as hard or whatever and i'm like well yeah but at the same time you don't expect a guy to just go full send in there <laughs> You don't, you know, you know what I mean? I think he expected him to try and make a move, but I, I didn't expect him to go full on Carl Edwards, Kansas, 2008 on him. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, you know, I really, I really, when I, on the last lap I was watching, I really expected Chase to go in there and, and bump him, like give him a, a bump and run and yeah. not so much of a slide job. I think if he had gone in there and gotten, given him a bump and run, Reddick would have probably finished second. And both of them would, wouldn't have spun out. You know, right. Reddick probably would have slid up into the wall. It would have sl- slowed him down. Briscoe would have passed him. But Bush, Kyle Bush still ends up third. You know what I mean? If, 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 the ta- if, if that plays out differently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, ultimately, do I upshift or I downshift it? I mean, I upshift him going for the win. And I upshift, you know, him, Chase going for the win. But at the same time, I'm kind of downshifting because I, I, I don't think he went about it the right way. But again, you have a split-second decision to, like, make coming in, like, two to go. He's not thinking, okay, I'm going to go dump him in the last corner. You know what I mean? He's got to make this decision kind of on the fly. And, you know, when he goes back and, and watches it again, I'm sure he's going to be like, well, maybe I could have done something differently here or maybe I should have done something differently there so i i feel wrong it does i don't feel right straight up say downshifting but i don't feel confident enough to straight up upshift so it's kind of like a weird like i'm not on the fence but i'm on the fence like i disagree with the move i understand why he did it i don't think i would have done anything differently but it kind of overall didn't work out so Kind of, it, it wouldn't be the first time I've said this. I'm pretty sure I said this after the the Indianapolis Road Course race last year. Probably said the same thing. All right, weekend wrap up since we've already kind of talked. We spoiled the the Cup Series race, but uh, Ben Rhodes won the dirt race uh, at at Bristol for the Truck Series, and then Kyle Busch, we 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 already stated, won the Cup Series uh, Food City Dirt Race, ties Richard Petty's record of 18 straight seasons with a win. Uh, that's pretty cool for Kyle Busch. He's won, and I believe that means he's won in every single season he's been in the Cup Series, which is right, really right. something that's difficult to say even in this year. I mean, in this day and age with all the competition, how the competitions are, how the parity level is now, especially this year, I mean, that's insane to say. It doesn't matter if he backed into it or not. Win's a win. Go back that's, to 2020. Huh? Go back to 2020. He didn't win till the third to last race of the year. Yep. And it's very true. Um, you know, something I want to talk about since since we're now talking about the races and we can discuss it. Um, this whole dirt experiment, I have it still has me with mixed feelings, and I I feel like this is the best time to probably talk about it. Let's I'll just just kind of get our our feelings out about the whole Bristol dirt. Um, there's I there's there's a big problem I think that NASCAR is going to have, 
And that big problem is they've built a car in the next gen that actually races pretty darn well on dirt. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Uh, compared to last year, this year this year's race was a lot more entertaining. I agree. There was the, This car is better on dirt, and I think that's because they built it with the idea that this car was going to be put on dirt. When they built the Gen 6 in 2013-2012, they did not... There was probably no immediate plans to put this car on dirt. I can almost guarantee you that, that they were not thinking this car is going to race on dirt by the end of its lifespan. They were not thinking that. Right. This car, however, they went in with that entirely on, on the brain. Like, we need to make sure that this car can do everything well. Ovals, road courses, dirt. We need to make this thing as versatile as possible. And they've done that. They've they've done that. I'm very impressed with how NASCAR has done that. I think if you fix the right hide rules on short tracks, you got the best car you'll ever have. Quite frankly, this thing can is versatile. It can do anything. It can go anywhere. It's they did a great job on it. But where the problem lies is, I don't know that 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 dirt on Bristol is still the right decision. And I say this. Specifically because the truck race was nowhere near as good as the cup race. And in fact, the trucks all weekend, from the heat races to the the race itself, I was very underwhelmed when watching the truck races in comparison to the cup races. And that was kind of disappointing, considering how great the trucks had been at Eldora before. The trucks had put on really good shows at Eldora. They were really exciting. There was a lot of passing, um, whereas these trucks at Bristol seemed like they were having a lot of difficulties passing. Um, outside of restarts, it really seemed like, unless you were on the outside, it wasn't really working well. Kevin Harvick alluded to track prep. Uh, Kyle Busch talked about it in the post-race as well, talking about track prep, track prep, track prep, prep, track prep. Kyle Busch made a really good point as well in in the post race saying that a lot of the reasons why he thinks that the racing product was better on Sunday was because of the constant rain delays the constant rain delays basically wet the track down packed the track and allowed for better racing Kyle basically said uh you need to be doing but Kyle said it comes down to track prep and stuff like that. And he says, you know, he, he brought up the comparison. He says, you know, most dirt features are 50 laps. And in between every single heat, they're re-prepping the trap and re-track and re-watering the track and all that stuff. Uh, and and that's something that they don't really do or have opportunities to do often at Bristol. You have the two stage breaks and that's it. Um, that's where I think this whole racing at Bristol thing is going to come into a problem because a lot of people saying, oh, well, I wish they would go to a real short track. And I'm like, well, okay, but you're going to have the same problems at any short track. The problem is NASCAR, these NASCAR races are just too long to put on a good dirt race. They're just too long. And I think the, the, the thing is, you know, I think, they can, I think this car can make, make it work on dirt. I really think it can. But I don't know right now that hosting a points race on dirt is the right way to go. I think if they want to commit to dirt, I think it should be an exhibition event. Um, and and I, that sounds hard, harsh to say, but it's really because 
it's 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 not a good product when you're going 100 150 laps on the same dirt surface and not taking frequent breaks to repack it and rewater it you know the reason why we got a good show on saturday was because we had more breaks than just the stage breaks to repack the track to rewater and repack the track and the rain helped water the track as well i think last year you had that problem where that wasn't the case it, first of all the car wasn't made for dirt second of all the track wasn't prepped properly second of all it wasn't it was too dusty third of all the track wasn't uh they ran on the track too long i think if they really want to make this thing work you have to host like a hundred lap race or less to make for a really solid dirt race and unfortunately i think the only thing that can do that is a truck series the only place you could get away with running at a hundred race lap race or less is the truck series I don't know if you have any similar feelings like that, but I think it's a conundrum that NASCAR is in right now is they have a legitimately good dirt car and they've proved that they can put on a good dirt show. It's just that there's a lot of behind the scenes and track prep and a lot of that stuff that's going to cause them problems in the future. Logistically, it's going to be difficult for NASCAR to hold a cup race on a quote unquote real dirt track that I mean, Bristol dirt is probably the best place and only place that they can go. But hosting a 250-lap race on basically the same dirt surface is not indicative of a good show. It's not indicative of good racing, and it doesn't produce good racing. And I think that's another reason why you saw a big difference between the truck and the Cup Series. is not just because the Cup Series car was different, was because also you had a lot more brakes in the Cup Series, whereas the Truck Series didn't. And even though the Truck Series race was shorter... I think if they had more breaks to pack and and prep the track, you probably would have gotten a better race at the end of it. It's a conundrum that they're going to be having. Because obviously now it's going to be like, well, we have to go back to Bristol now. But now it's like, okay, well, how long do we make it? Okay, how often do we stop the cars? How many stage breaks do we have? You know, do we throw a competition caution for, you know, halfway through the final stage? And repack and rewater the track. You know, these are questions that NASCAR is going to have to start asking themselves if this is something that's going to have to happen. You want my honest, humble opinion? I still would have preferred a a race at one o'clock in the afternoon on on the concrete. That's just me. But I understand that NASCAR is very, it wants to compete and continue running on dirt. And if that's their prerogative, that's fine. This car is more than more than capable of running on dirt. It's just about getting the surface right. And when you have drivers in the press conference and in in the media basically criticizing track prep constantly and saying, this is why it sucks, this is why it sucks, something's got to be done and you've got to make sure that it's practical. Josh, I don't don't know how much you can comment on, but I do want to hear your thoughts on this. Like, what do you think? You know, what what is the right combination for NASCAR on dirt, NASCAR, dirt, Bristol? What do you think is the right combination that they need to be need to be doing? First off, I agree. I think the car is built for dirt. I think that's a big reason why this race was better compared to last year. They have a good car. Um, I don't I, I, I thought very similar thoughts to you. Like, What would have happened if they broke this up into uh, just five 50 lap segments? And you had four intermissions to reprep the track because you can't. NASCAR Cup races have to be long longer. I mean, they have to be. You're not going to go out there and have a 50 lap cup race after having several heat races. This is not going to happen. 
Um, so if it's going to be a point race, it has to be a long race. Um, as far as, a, you know, the, the track prep and surface like that, I, I mean, it's year two. I think we had an improvement over last year. What again? It's like it's like going back to Richmond. It's going to Martinsville. What can we do? Let's talk to the drivers. Let's talk to engineers. What what can we do better for next year? What can we improve on? What did we improve on from year one? If we're going to do it again, what what do you think we need to? Can what are your opinions? What are your thoughts to improve for the next time around? Right. That's just that's just a basic logic for anything. Um, but um, I do think that. You know, whether you like it or not, Dirt's here to stay in NASCAR after this weekend. How? Where? I don't know. I I, I, I don't know. So, um, I mean, we kind of joked about throwing Dirt down on Richmond. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, to, to make one of its races maybe potentially more interesting or better, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I... I um, I, I like I said, yeah, like you said I, I can't comment on it too much, but I do think after last year, I think there was a lot of people concerned. This may not be for us. It should be should maybe a truck thing, but we slowly moved the needle towards. All right, we're finding that groove, and the car was a lot of it, and by happenstance, we found out a few more things with with weather and in the rain so we'll see we'll see um i'm excited to see what happens next i definitely don't want to replace i think it should be thing something that's done once a year and once a year on points or all-star or exhibition a clash something like that that's fine i don't want to see it done more than once though i'd say make it an all-star because then at that point, you know, they like to break the all-star race up into a bunch of different stages like the way they do. Well, like we pointed out with the Clash, the Clash kind of set new tones. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you you, you, ha- you take what you have with the Clash. I think you can reapply that as a dirt race and have it be just as successful as the Clash. And I, you know, I understand if NASCAR really, really wants to make this whole dirt thing a points deal uh, to incentivize teams to work on the dirt setup and to incentivize good year and everyone to get dirt tires and everything but i i just wonder about the practice the the practicality of running such long races on the same dirt track without breaking it up i think you have to break it up you you have have to have you have to have multiple stages even if you know like last year they had to they put they broke it up into 50 50 50 because of tire wear even if you still only want to pay points at the end of lap 100 to maybe lap 200 okay that's fine but you need to you need to have scheduled times in there to break it up to you know to, to re-prep the track because it's a big deal or there you just you i've never seen a 50 lap or 75 lap dirt feature before yeah uh, it just yeah, now the longest, not... well, longest one you would have probably watched was the last Hoosier, Hoosier 100, right? Yeah, yeah. That's probably the longest one that you'd probably ever see, and that's because it's just a... In that, and, that's, and that's very much an odd, you know, it's, it's, it's out there, it's an oddity thing, and um, 
but when you go to you know Ward of Outlaws late model, right. yeah. late models, other they use don't run yeah. those long races. So you know, it's just something to think about. It's more things to consider because I think they they found answers and they had some more new questions this weekend, and hopefully that those will all be sort of laid on the table, digested, talked through, and we'll see what happens in twenty three. All right. Uh, outstanding performance for the week, Josh. Who you got? Tyler Reddick. Um, he, he, I, despite what he said, he did everything right. He put himself in a position to, to win and should have won. Um, this guy, his win is coming. And uh, oh, yeah. you know, I, believe, I believe he was robbed of one by Chase Briscoe, and I'll, and I'll stand by that. Um, but he did everything right. To be in to be in that position to win that race, um, he ran you know probably the best race of the year for him to be honest. And by far, um, it, it, it's been a struggle at times, and other times it's kind of been okay. We're we're here, and it's a mediocre day. But uh, Sunday at Bristol, he did a good job, and um, really proud of the way he also kind of. And even though I didn't expect anything. More or less, I think he handled himself really well after the race uh, from an interview and, you know, face-to-face with Briscoe. So, uh, Reddick gets mine. You know who really caught my attention this, this week, Josh? It was Ty Dillon. Ty Dillon went out there. If I'm correct, I think he won his heat race. Um, and then went out there and, and had a great run. Well, didn't, didn't light the world on fire, but he finished in the top 10, finished 10th after starting 7th. And overall, man, I just got to say it was nice. It was refreshing to see both Dylan brothers running up front consistently. Um, but ultimately, I think it was better for Ty, who really just need needed a good run. Ty really needed a really good run, and he got that this weekend. You know, Eric yeah. Jones has been kind of outpacing him so far this year in that petty GMS stable. Uh, he, you know, Eric Jones has been out qualifying him as well. And this was a race where Ty went out there and said, nope, this week I'm better than Eric. This week I've, I'm fired on all cylinders, and I'm going to go out there and have a great finish, great race. He did have a great race, did have a great finish. Had one of the best-looking cars out there, too. That helps. That gain yeah. car was beautiful. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, I got to say, I mean, Ty really Ty did look great. And that's another thing that I talk about all the time is the parody with this car. That's what I like seeing. I like seeing someone like Ty Dillon who can – you know, go out there and have a one week be running 30th and then the next week go out there and nail the setup or just ha- know the track well or come prepared and, 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 and bang out a top 10, you know, that's really good to see. And that's some, that, that helps keep your spirits up as a driver, you know, uh, whereas in the, in the past several years, I think, I feel like a lot of those, someone like a Ty Dillon just kind of struggles sitting there around 20th. And that's about that, you know, you reach that peak of like 18th, 17th, 16th of where you, you're trying to get better than that, but the car is just not there. And now this year we're, we're really able to see, you know, guys who used to be in that predicament actually being able to break through that glass ceiling and get those top 15s, get those top 10s that they've been really looking for, that they know that they can achieve. Um, and so it's great to see Ty go out there and get that. And there were other drivers that were like that, but Ty was one that really caught my attention just because how well he performed in the heat race and then how well he performed in the overall race too. Um, Austin, his brother, probably would have gotten this too had he not had that engine failure. But overall, yeah, man, I got to give it to Ty. Ty had a great run. Um, last feat, last 
the last segment so of of the show today because hey, hey we're running actually pretty decent on time josh can you believe that nice <laughs> we're, we're, we're actually running pretty decent on time so you've got a featured race batch you're talking about a bunch of uh races from north wilkesboro and i'm looking forward to hearing all about this because i'm i'm excited about this this is gonna be pretty cool so i'm gonna go ahead and turn the floor on over to you and you can go ahead and take it away and uh and and learn me some things yeah, this was kind of an on-the-fly segment. I was going to do a featured week in racing, but because North Wilkesboro is making a return, I thought I'd do a North Wilkesboro septet, which is a group of seven. For those of you who maybe don't know what that is, I had to look it up because I'm like, I don't know what a group of seven is called. Uh, so I will I will admit that I had I had to go to the internet to find that. So well, I mean, it's... It, 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 prefixes did you you know what did you, you you went to an indiana high school so you did you touch word within the word when you were in high school i do what did you touch something that was called word within the word in high school i don't think so it okay well really then you were tell. very lucky because all those kids where i went to high school we had to do this uh we had to do these things in english classes called word within the word where we had to memorize prefixes and suffixes and then we were tested on them by uh in we were tested on them and we the, the test test could be like 50 to 100 questions they were insane and but it taught me like almost every prefix and suffix and there's all this random information that i have in my head from this 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 method that they forced upon us when yeah. i was 14 15 16 17 <laughs> they forced this upon us and now i know all these prefixes so i you say septet and i'm like yeah Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Sept equals seven, um, which is also the annoying part of why September is not the seventh month because, <laughs> well, October is not the eighth month. And yeah. you want to know why? It's because of Julius Caesar. And he came along and decided he was going to add two more months and put in uh, July and August. And so that is why. Uh, September is not the seventh month, and October is not the, and November is not. Because no, well, no nine, and then ten D D E C is ten. So yeah, it, thanks Julius Caesar. This is why you got stabbed, I guess. <laughs> it took- oh well, well this this podcast took an interesting turn rapidly there. I, know. I didn't learn that, and <laughs> if I did, I had forgotten it because you. I think the brain can only remember seven things at once. I think is what I heard a few times growing up. That's always the excuse I say when I can't remember something. So with that, like I said, I chose this because North Wilkesboro is coming back. It's just seven races that I pointed out that were, in my opinion, um, kind of important dates uh, for one reason or another. And I'll try to explain that as uh, as I go through them. So this first one here. Um, October 16th, 1949, North Wilkesboro Speedway hosted the eighth and final NASCAR Strictly Stock Race of the inaugural 1949 season. That's now the Cup Series. 22 cars took the green flag. Bob Flock in a 49 Oldsmobile led the final 20 laps, his only 20 laps, uh, to win at what uh, was then a half-mile dirt track. Bill Blair had led from the first lap until uh, he led his final lap on lap 180. Uh, when his engine began to expire, uh, but he would go on to complete 191 total laps. Uh, 
before officially retiring his car. Lee Petty finished second in a 49 Plymouth, and third place was Fonte Flock, who drove a 47 Buick. Sarah Christian finished 12th, uh, 12 laps down. Red Byron finished 16th and claimed the first NAS- uh, the first championship as, again, it was now the NASCAR Cup Series. September 24th, 1950. Uh, this was the day of the first NASCAR Grand National Race uh, at North Wilkesboro uh, in its 0.625 mile dirt configuration. Uh, Red Byron led laps 1 through 3 before Fonny Flock took over on lap 4. He led through lap 107. Byron took over on lap 108 and led through 137. Then Jack Smith took over, uh, leading on lap 138, but was passed by Leon Sales with eight laps to go, who went on to win the race in a 50 Plymouth. Smith was second. Uh, also, he was in a 50 Plymouth as well. And E.L. Weddle finished third in a 49 Lincoln. Uh, October 20th, 1957, the first paved NASCAR Grand National Race at North Wilkesboro. Uh, it was the Wilkes 160. It was 160 laps because it was equal to 100 miles at the track. Uh, Jack Smith was the winner that day, with Lee Petty finishing second in Banjo Matthews. What a great name, Banjo. I mean, that just sounds like a racer from back in the day. Um, Banjo Matthews was third, Speedy Thompson fourth, and riding off the top five was Cotton Owens. Uh, fast forwarding quite a bit here, skipping a couple, uh, few decades. Uh, April 3rd, 1983. What is today the NASCAR Xfinity Series visited North Wilkesboro Speedway four times, and the first of which was that date in April 83. The Holly Farms 399, but it was a 200-lap race. In uh, the winner, Sam Ard lapped the entire field after leading 167 laps. Tommy Houston finished second, followed by Morgan Shepard, Pete Silva, and Ronnie Silver. 23 cars started in the race, but only 10 finished. April 22nd, 1990. The 1991st Union 400 is one of the most, if not the most, controversial races in NASCAR history. The controversy began when Kenny Wallace, who was actually making his first start in the series, crashed in turn one and brought up the caution. During this caution, the pace car picked up Dale Earnhardt instead of Bodine, who had fresh tires. This led to several confusions on whether... Uh, who the who was leading the race at the time uh, because NASCAR did not have electronic scoring. Uh, it took 17 caution laps to sort out the scoring error, and in the end, Bodine was declared uh, as the race leader. He went on to win. Uh, Walter was also upset because maybe he thought he was the leader as well, and, uh, you know, he finished second. He protested the victory. However, um, it was not you know, found a, a good protest, if you will. It was turned down, and Bodine was, re, or we reigned the winner of the race, and, um, you know, as NASCAR rules were there at the time, uh, he, the win stood, and it's his only career win he ever would have. Um, Arnhart finished third, Ricky Rudd was fourth, and Morgan Shepard was fifth. So, um, if you were there at that race that day, you're probably wondering, what in the world's going on? And the, uh, I'm sure the PA was trying to explain it as well, but... Uh, thank goodness for electronic scoring. As long as your transponder's working, you're good. Or you should be. Anyways, you should be. Depends on when that caution flies and, you know, what line you're at. And like, oh crap, no, I was a leader. No, I was a leader. No, well, we won't get into that. Uh, September 30th, 1995. North Wilkes Road Speedway was one of the 
uh, inaugural stops on the on the first season for the NASCAR Truck Series, uh, which was then called the NASCAR Super Truck Series, presented by Craftsman. What a name. What a name. I still love seeing the diecast with that logo on it, because that logo was spot on, man, spot on. Um, eventual 1995 champion. Uh, you're showing up. You're showing me a diecast, Rob, through the camera. Who is that? Oh, it's the 38 of Sammy Swindell. What a guy. What a car. What a truck. What a truck. Awesome. All right, where was I at here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. It was uh, eventual 1995 champion Mike Skinner sat on the pole, but he finished 10th. The race was called the Lowe's 150. Uh, it had one caution before the halftime caution. We had halftime. The truck series had halftimes back in the day. Drivers would get out and be interviewed in person on pit road by television. It was great. Um, but there's one caution before the halftime caution on lap 76. Um, and uh, But then there's three in the second half of the race. Mike Bliss won the race uh, driving for Jim Smith. Butch Miller was second, Jeff Bodine third, Jack Sprague finished fourth, and Ron Hornaday finished fifth. This race was also Ernie Irvin's comeback race following his head injury at Michigan uh, in 1994. He started second and led 24 laps before suffering a suspension failure and finished 30th of 32 cars. And finally... September 29, 1996, the final NASCAR Cup Series race at North Wilkesboro Speedway was held on this date. 40,000 fans packed the facility with signs saying they'd miss the track and saying farewell to an old friend, Ted Musgrave. He was on. He was the pool winner, uh, but the race went green at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Ugh. What a time what, to be alive. What a time to be alive. We were both alive, but we, we weren't, like, conscious enough. I was uh, a little over two. A little over two. Little I two. had just turned one. Or I, w- I hadn't even turned one yet. I was, uh, let's see, I was only a couple of days away from turning one. Yeah, you were you were right there on that cusp there. Well, the race started at one. Musgrave was on the pole, but Gordon led the first lap. And in all, there would be 18 lead changes between Gordon, Bobby Hamilton, Ernie Irvin, Mark Martin, Rusty Wallace, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Burton, and Ricky Rudd. The race... The Tyson Holly Farms 400 was a 400 laps long, uh, 37 starters, and all 37 starters were running at the finish. The last place finisher, Derek Cope, was 31 laps down. Uh, the race was won by Gordon, his first win at Wilkesboro in his final attempt. Uh, very well close to being, uh, he went 22 of 23 at tracks. Uh, was it, oh, was it 24 or 25? I can't remember now. He only is only one track he never won in his in his Cup career, and that's Kentucky. Though he had a heck of an average finish there, Kentucky. Anyways, Gordon won this race. Dale Earnhardt finished second. Dale Jarrett third. Jeff Burton fourth, and Terry Labonte fifth. Gordon left Wilkesboro that day with a hundred and eleven point lead over Terry Labonte. Uh, when the championship ended four races later, Gordon lost to Labonte by thirty seven points. So, at least he left leading the points in Wilkesboro that day. Um, that was it. That was that was the seven races I pointed out. Uh, there's there's a lot more that are important, fun races in Wilkesboro's history. But I felt like hitting a, several points there. Um, it's it's often forgotten that 
the Xfinity's series race there uh, four times. And, uh, you know, one hit the, you know, this track used to be dirt. Originally it was dirt for t- about 10 years. And then they paved it. And um, we're going to go back dirt racing there in October. Looking forward to that. Even even if it's just a one-off event. So, uh, Rob, hope you enjoyed that. Want to do something a little different because obviously North Wilkesboro, I mean, I remember making uh, schedules. Rob, you know, we, 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 everyone who listens to this podcast since day one or has been listening to it for more than a year knows that we love to make fictional schedules. And I used to make fictional schedules with, with North Wilkesboro on this on it. And um, because, I, you know, I'm like, this is this cool track. And it really was kind of, I mean, I, that's a lie. It was probably the biggest abandoned track I knew at the time or really understood a lot of the history. You know, there's a lot of other abandoned tracks and tracks that are that are, are completely gone such as a Riverside or Ontario or a Texas world now that I knew about, um, but I didn't know much history, but North Wilkesboro I knew a lot of. So, um, And for, for a long time there, you know, it was the one track that NASCAR, the most recent track that NASCAR left behind that wasn't getting any use out of it at all. You know, Rockingham, though, yes, it would be, it hasn't been on the schedule since, 2004 there's been uses of it since then you know it hasn't just sat completely intermittently though intermittently and and for other uses the property has been used for other things but north wilkesboro has for the most part sat dormant so it's good to see it come back to life this year later this year and uh hopefully it uh, hopefully anyone who goes out there sees some pretty good racing yeah so hey thank you for that uh always cool to learn some stuff that maybe i didn't know um, I'm be, I, I'm I'm terrible with history. Probably pre 1980s anything. <laughs> um, that's just me. I don't know why. Uh, but um, yeah, it was pretty cool to learn some of that stuff. So thank you for that, Josh. So, but that's 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 our show for this week. So thank you guys so much for listening. We're getting you out here a little earlier than normal, which is kind of nice. Still at the two hour mark, but not bad. Uh, let's take a look at what's in the windshield here. Formula One. We'll be back, and they will be racing at Imola on April 24th, This, uh, along with uh, Formula 2 and Formula 3. So I'm going to look forward to waking up extra early to watch some of those races. I'm looking forward to it. IndyCar, as we talked about earlier, is off until May 1st. They're at Barber, uh, which is always a fun racetrack. Uh, Formula E is not back until April 30th, but they will be at Monaco in two weeks. So I'll look forward to that. Also in two weeks, Supercars will be back at Wanneroo. So looking forward to that one as well. Actually be able to watch it. Uh, but hey, it's Talladega week, Josh. It's Talladega week. Uh, we got, uh, Cup Series, Arco Series, Xfinity Series, all racing at Talladega. Looking forward to that. We've got a great Great weekend of racing coming up. I'm looking forward to all the Talladega races. Looking forward to Formula One. I am excited for uh, the future. So April is always a fun time in racing. So is May. Uh, But uh, this is really cool. So thank you guys so much for listening to this show. We really appreciate it. If you have not yet done so already, we'll plug our social medias here at the end. Um, I can be found at rpeters33. That's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh can be found at roller underscore zero one. That's R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And then our show can be found at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Be sure we got, we're on everything. So what I just plugged, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, 
you know, the the YouTube, the Facebook, everything. We 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 got our our bases covered in terms of social. So if you want to get a hold of us, send us your upshift, downshifts, answers, or uh, a featured paint scheme that we might have missed because we're we're only two people. We can only pick one. You know, if you've got a, a paint scheme with just as interesting of a story as we told, by all means, send it to us. We'd love to hear it. Might even feature it on the show if we get a chance. So thank you guys so much for listening to the show this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. For Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody.